1: Following the truth, wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from the Great White North and his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard.
0: And welcome once again to another edition of Strange Planet. 26 years ago, 26. Wow, March 13th, 1997. The Phoenix Lights, witnessed by at least 10,000 people between 7.30 p.m. and 10.30 p.m. mountain time. Over a a space of about 300 miles from the Nevada Line through Phoenix to the edge of Tucson, some witnesses described seeing what appeared to be a huge Carpenter's Square-shaped UFO that actually obliterated the night sky. Uh, some saw five spherical lights. There were two distinct events, at least. Well, there were sightings, of course, before and after, and we'll get into all of that, the Phoenix Lights. And uh, we should also point out, before we bring my guest on, that you might want to catch... Well, it's it's already aired, but you should be able to see it uh, again. I'm sure it, uh, it aired last week on uh, the History Channel. It's the uh, uh, History's Greatest Mysteries, Season 4, Episode 5 narrated by the great actor, Lawrence Fishburne, and uh, dealing with the, uh, the Phoenix Lights case. And also, we're gonna also gonna talk about a, uh, a scientific Phoenix Lights study, and we'll tell you all about that as well. Dr. Lin Kitai is an internationally acclaimed physician and health educator for over 50 years, who pushed aside her accomplished medical career to pursue answers for the silent, massive aerial objects witnessed by over 10,000 on uh, March the 13th, 1997 for over a dozen hours and over four states. She also filmed These UAP called the Phoenix Lights up close and personal prior to, then during and after, as I said, what is hailed as the most witnessed, most documented, most important mass UFO sightings in modern history. Dr. Lin was chief clinical consultant of the Imaging Prevention Wellness Center at the world-renowned Arizona Heart Institute until coming forward in 2004 after seven years of anonymity and intense research as a key Phoenix Lights witness besides appearing on hundreds of national, international TV and radio shows, including Coast to Coast AM, The History uh, Channel, Science, uh, Travel Discovery, National Geographic channels, Dr. Lynn's fourth edition of her best-selling Phoenix Lights, A Skeptic's Discovery That We Are Not Alone book, the award-winning Phoenix Lights Beyond Top Secret documentary, plus the Phoenix Lights graphic novel activities coloring book, all available at amazon.com and you can visit phoenix lights network at uh, www.thephoenixlights.net for more information, and the, uh, the links are in the episode notes. Dr. Lynn, welcome. How are you? It's good, good to see
2: you. Oh, it's wonderful to be with you, uh, Richard, and your audience, and set the record straight. That was one of the reasons I came forward after seven years of anonymity, um, which was very precarious at the time, uh, especially as a physician, but there is so much mis and disinformation out there. As you mentioned, most, most media picked on the 8 to 10 hour period because that's when most people were outside looking up at the sky at the hale comet when uh, they also got a glimpse. Are you ready for this one? From 1 to 8 miles wide, according to Peter Davenport, the director of the National UFO Reporting Center, from his data that he's collected for over 26 years, um, one of these objects, either orbs that were Seem to be attached to something, these giant orbs that some people saw detached from the main craft, go out into the environment, and then redock with it later. I mean, we'll get into the technology a little bit. Um, but also, craft, actual craft. And this is where it starts to get really interesting because there was a 12 year study, very meticulous study of hundreds of reports. Two or more people had to see the same craft. And we're talking gunmetal gun bottoms, windows, some people even saw beings at the windows to be in the study. And after 12 years, it was identified that there were 10 different craft. If you go on the GAP page, GAP, Geospatial Animation Project on the Phoenix Lights Network website, and it's packed with information for people to just explore and and consider. But certainly consider this, whether it was one craft that could morph into looking different, or the perspective from where the person was standing, or an actual parade. And ultimately, that's what was concluded because it wasn't just one or two events. It was many, many events over a dozen hours, starting at 3 p.m. in the afternoon. And people don't know this. This is really... You know, integral data that people should be informed that the mass sighting—and it was seen for weeks and months before, which we'll talk about too when you get mm-hmm. to it—but and even years before, and centuries before, according to the native cultures, indigenous cultures, especially in Arizona. But on March thirteenth, nineteen ninety-seven, the mass sighting itself began at three p.m. in the afternoon. Daylight sightings that were seen in Arizona of these. UAP, unexplained aerial phenomena. Five o'clock hour, they were seen by Native Americans in New Mexico. Seven o'clock hour and beyond, they were seen in California. The 10, 11 o'clock hour, there were two commercial airline pilots that called into radar to report one of these massive craft was covering Las Vegas. There's a great story to that that I tell in the book. And then the sightings continued, and very credible people saw. These phenomena continue all the way 5 5.30 the next morning when a Boeing crew, and then the head of the Boeing crew shared this with me personally, was coming into Sky Harbor International Airport, and one of these massive craft was covering their tarmac. So we're talking over a dozen hours, over four states at least, because we're doing this study, and we're hearing from people from Utah and Colorado and Texas that also saw the mass sighting on March 13, 1997. So this was Definitely a parade, and there is so much more to this story that people have not heard. One of the reasons I pushed my medical career aside, after documenting these phenomena for two years prior on 35mm, if you go to the photo page on the Phoenix Lights Network website, you can catch my unique collection of military and university analyzed and authenticated 35 millimeters. They're in the negative. That's the beauty, Richard. They cannot be fudged or manipulated. They're in the negative that they cannot explain um, to this day. And they can't deny because it's in the negative um, that these things were showing up. For two years prior from my vantage point, up close and personal, and at a distance, in the same pictures, in the same spot that I would also catch two months before the mass sighting, head on, turning into a V-shape. And those pictures are on the website, Phoenix Lights Network website, by the airport. In fact, it was so unnerving. That the next morning I called around, and this was January 97, two months before the mass sighting, we found air traffic controllers, very forthcoming initially, who divulged that not only did they see what I was seeing, it was B restricted airspace, that at a thousand feet altitude did not show up on radar. And one of them was a meteorologist and shared that this V-shaped object turned as a unit against the wind, elevated slowly, and then moved in synchrony behind South Mountain, which is just south of the uh, airport. And when I asked, what is it, what was it? There was silence. And they said, beats me. I said, your air traffic controller, are supposed to know it's in our airspace. They ruled out every conventional aircraft, balloons, Chinese lanterns, uh, flares, even skydivers with lights. And we stayed in contact. I continued photographing these phenomena. As other people were, by the way, prior to March 13th, and then, of course, March 13th was the huge sighting, and when I called them the next morning, not only did they share, because it looked like the same exact phenomenon, the same exact location, they confirmed that it was, and the two pilots had called it, a commercial pilot. To, to say, what the hell are these lights over me? And that's significant. I mean, this is over fast speed, restricted airspace, their tarmac, right? Right above them. And a private pilot who did not come forward until 2017. If you want me to divulge who it was, I'll tell you now. Yeah,
0: it's a great story. You're a great actor.
2: Right now? Okay. Yeah. Um, did not come forward. And this is very interesting, which we also get into in our scientific study, because I'm a scientist, I'm a medical doctor, and I wanted to be as scientific as I could with the data to quantify the uh, real-term and long-term effects of the Phoenix Lights and similar phenomena. And this fellow, along with others, in fact, the psychiatrist MD that's working with me on the study, and I'm also working with a a PhD, um, (laughs) who have done other studies, he was a witness as well, and did not Share it. I mean, they, nobody said anything. They were coming up uh, from Tucson to Phoenix for a swim meet and nobody in the car, even though this massive craft was right above them. He was in the passenger seat and got a really great look at it as it, it, it the arms just were, were spread so far. He couldn't even see the end of them. And nobody said a word till six months later when they saw something on TV, which is similar to what happened to this pilot, this private pilot for 2 years he forgot about it he was with his son on approach to sky harbor very close and his son actually noticed the v shape of the v shape of lights and alerted his dad and he said boy I better call into the to tower which he did totally forgot about it until he walked in and to uh, his his significant other was watching uh, a show on the phoenix lights and they mentioned that pilots had seen it and he thought whoa it was like a richard dreyfus moment and his report his uk report is on the news page on the phoenix lights network website it's really um uh riveting actually and he said whoa i mean he looked at his log and realized that it was him and it was none other than Kurt Russell, <laughs> the actor, yes. um, which was kind of neat, Richard, I have to say, because I was filming it while he was reporting it, which is kind of cool.
0: yes, terrific actor, Kurt Russell, a witness to the Phoenix Lights, along with at least ten uh, ten thousand others. um let's um I-, I wanted to mention, you know, because you mentioned the thirty five millimeter camera, and I'm just can you imagine what it would have been like had we had cell phone cameras and twitter back in march of 1997 what do you think what would have changed
2: oh geez well you know that's why they can't keep it quiet anymore and and it's really a giant step forward not only as the story unfolded and i'll try to be real real brief as i can um it's amazing that after the mass sighting these phenomena were right over people's heads, rooftop level. Some people said they could have thrown a rock at it. It was so massive, but totally silent and so close. And yet some people saw it take off at blink speed without even dispersing the air. As I mentioned before, some people saw these orbs detach from the main object and then redock with it later, which may be what happened in 95. I don't know why they would be outside our bedroom window, but we actually have very close sighting of these orbs. And if you look at the pictures again, they're in the negative while I'm photographing these orbs up close and personal cloaking, okay, as I'm watching them, in the background, at the distance, in the same spot as 97 are these lines of, of uh, orbs as well in an equidistant line. Anyway, um, people also were in awe because if you look at that gap page GAP on a, spatial, a geospatial animation project, you'll see one of the crafts split in two and shot straight up. I mean, the technology was so phenomenal and the even the propulsion being so massive, um, uh, we haven't seen anything that comes close. And yet after the mass sighting, no investigation, not a word from the military or the government, no investigation as far as we knew, no explanation until in May, In May was the first time that a councilwoman, Vice Mayor Frances Barwood, asked innocently, because she she got over a thousand calls from people. She called back 700 of those people um, asking, why isn't there an investigation? This went right over people's heads. And people were getting telepathic messages. I hope we have time to get into all that, because that's really, really one of the most important highlights of the Phoenix sites. And yet there was nothing, and she was plastered. In 97, coming forward was really precarious. I mean, the dis, dis, besides the disinformation and the misinformation, um, that people were discredited, they were ostracized, they were laughed at. I was very happy to stay anonymous for seven years after the mass sighting, because I knew nothing, Richard nothing about this topic and for the first time and i saw this up close and personal i'm learning thousands of people so what i had seen i better learn what's going on here and when once i started looking and i kept an intricate journal it just opened up a whole new world to me. I had no idea that other countries are much more open to these things. Belgium, uh, for one, is a model for what should happen. When they had their sightings in the in the late 80s and 90s, they they joined forces with civilians and university and scientists and um, military to to investigate these things. And anyway, I I was just blown away and ended up pushing my entire medical career aside. Accomplished medical career for seven years looking. <laughs>
0: When did they? When did they start to obfuscate and talk about? Uh, all this was Operation Snowboard. This was a pilot training. Well, for- wait a minute wait, yeah. a minute.
2: wait a minute. I'm getting to that because because um, the next thing that happened was a June 18th front page USA Today article that for the first time opened up our sighting to international scrutiny. We were deluged by media overnight. you talk about the internet now we didn't have social media then and yet it went viral every national morning show Peter Jennings, uh, Dan Rather, you name it and after nothing for months suddenly we get that afternoon an announcement that the the that I mean the next morning, excuse me the 19th, the next morning that that afternoon the then governor's fort Wife Symington was calling an unscheduled press conference to reveal the culprit of the lights over Phoenix. And everybody took it seriously. And here he comes marching out, one of his aides in a giant alien head costume, and made a mockery of it. But for those that saw it, including myself, it wasn't a joke. Okay. And yet I thought, okay, since I, you know, I'm going to investigate everything that month after, and we're getting to your your point. I called every military base, and I have some of their conversations, which are quite comical in my book. I didn't tell them details. I would not meet with them, even though they wanted me to. Okay, they wanted to see what I documented. They were just as curious, and I get a call a month later on July 24th. From one of the heads of PR of the Air National Guard. And she says, Oh, Dr. Lynn, I think we know what those lights were back in March. And I was thrilled. And I, you know, anything logical. She says, Do you believe that in all these months, nobody ever looked at the log for visiting Air National Guard? And the Maryland Air National Guard was in town sending off military illumination flares in Operation Snowbird which I found out after in military terms means diversionary tactical maneuvers, okay? So they may have been sending off flares to divert people away from the true unknowns. And she says, that must be what some people saw. And I said, wait a minute. I said, when was the Merlin Air National Guard in town? And this is really telling. She says, March 1st, the 15th. I said, were they in town in January? She said, oh no. I said, are you sure? She said, absolutely not. I said, well, my husband and I both witnessed and photographed the same exact phenomena in the same exact location, confirmed by air traffic controllers the morning after in January in January and the morning after the mass sighting, as hovering up at a thousand feet altitude over Class B restricted airspace. And she says, you never told me that. And then <laughs> and you're trying to tell me, and I'd educated myself to anything logical, including military illumination flares, that they travel, they, they, they they're dropped from planes on a parachute. They drift haphazardly downward almost instantly. They have huge smoke trails that are illuminated by the flare itself, and they're meant to illuminate the area so that heat-seeking missiles shoot them instead of the aircraft. I said, and you're trying to tell me that flares, military illumination flares that cannot keep a formation for more than a couple seconds or minutes at the most, traverse the entire state in a rock solid, equidistantly spaced mile wide V for hours, and she says, uh, I have a call coming in. I'll get back to you. Well, I'm still waiting,
0: Richard. For All right. Well, uh, maybe they should call it Operation Snow Job. We'll uh, we'll come back. Uh, Dr. Lynn Kitai is with us as we uh, discuss the 26th anniversary of the most documented, most seen mass UFO sighting in history. The Phoenix Lights. Stay with us.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, the captain has turned on the fastened seatbelt sign. We're now crossing a zone of turbulence. Please return your seats and food trays to their upright position and make sure your carry on luggage is safely stowed. You're about to leave everything you know behind. This is Richard Sarrett's Strange Planet. Strange Planet.
0: The 26th anniversary of the Phoenix Lights, March the 13th, 1997. And uh, get on up to the uh phoenix lights network and again the uh, link is in the episode notes and um uh i mean we could talk for for three four five hours but we just have a limited time <laughs> but i just but before i forget i do want to uh, mention the um the scientific phoenix lights study um that you've embarked on tell me about that and how people can participate
2: okay thank you so much first of all for letting me share this data because especially with um the military and government coming forward in 2017, whether it was a leak or whatever, we know now that they've been studying these phenomena, uh, at least for that long, but you know, much longer than that. Um, it's it's opened up a whole new world to many people. And what we found with the, the Phoenix lights, which is really, um, I wanna get back to the story a little bit because they tried to reenact it. So please remind me about that. Um, but, uh, what I found in my investigation, once I started talking to the witnesses, uh, not only did I find out that there was not one person to date, not one credible report of harm, threat, or abduction associated with the Phoenix Lights Phenomena. I can't speak for other things, but I can for the Phoenix Lights phenomena. Yes, there's a very small percentage because it's an ontological shock to some people. They just can't deal with it. So everybody comes from a different background, different upbringing, different belief systems. Some people can't deal with this topic. Some people don't want to, and that's okay. Everyone in their own time, but the vast, vast majority, and we're talking like you know 95 and beyond percent, um, we're in awe. We're in wonder. Just curious. I mean, some people get telepathic messages. Not to worry. I mean, it was just one of those sightings, as massive as this was. And and remember that at the time, there was the movie Independence Day, and we're so mm-hmm. inundated with threat, 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 and harm, harm, harm that when you see something that is so massive and so unusual, how are you supposed to react? And children initially were jumping up and down Independence Day, Independence Day, but. As the phenomena got closer, as these giant V and triangle or boomerang-shaped objects got closer, a calmness came over everyone, adults and children alike. A connectiveness to the phenomena that after it passed, they wanted to run after it. They wanted to, their parents to get in the car and chase it. it in real time, there was a positive transformation. And long term, there were others that stopped eating meat. They went into the peace movement, the environmental movement, very much like the after effect that happens with people that have NDEs, near-death experiences. And so I thought, well, a number of them also mentioned that they had had near-death experiences as children that was awakened by the Phoenix Lights, including Dr. Brad Evans, a psychiatrist, uh, researcher that's working with me on this study. And I did, too. And I lay it all out there in the book. And I thought, whoa. I mean, this is not about me. This is about the data. And I thought, geez, if, if people and others also that had near-death experiences as children, it was reawakened by the mass sighting. How curious is that? And I thought, well, could there be a connection between all unexplained phenomena, whether it's near-death experience, out-of-body experience, unexplained aerial phenomena? That I have a mystical light associated with the experience. And when I, once I started looking, I started finding... Uh, studies at University the Omega Project by Dr. Kenneth Ring is like this thick uh, from the University of Connecticut or Dr. Bruce Grayson or Dr. John Mack at Harvard as well. We're finding a connection, not only in the experience itself, which I lay out very simply in the book, is so similar whatever the unexplained phenomena I start calling them an up UP, unexplained phenomena because the after effect is so positive the enlightenment the connectiveness that one' feels to the universe and to the earth and to each other just seemed to to overtake many many people and I thought whoa you know I, when when I got enough together which we just did this past year <laughs> to form a scientific study, to really quantitate the data so that we can show and have peer review as well to show that there definitely is not only the hardware, which is important too and, and mind boggling, but how it affects people in a very, very personal and deep level when they have an unexplained phenomenon up experience, particularly a Phoenix Lights experience, either these orbs and native. Cultures. I mean, I could tell you such stories, but Native cultures believe, many believe that these orbs are spirit world or ancestors coming to give them guidance and comfort and knowledge and inspiration. And I have to admit, I've been inspired by these phenomena, but be that as it may, um, it's been around for centuries. And when you really look at the data and we're getting, we have over 700 people, anyone that wants to join us, if you had a similar experience to the phoenix lights whether it was orbs or you've seen craft um, or you heard about the phoenix lights that's the other thing you don't have to have the experience if you open your mind and your heart and you learn about it we have people that saw our documentary which back here that's our i I took that picture by the way that's real that's from one month after (laughs) 9-11 you tell me what it is right um there's so much more if you go to the phoenix lights network photo page but when we're talking about um, that people that just open their mind to learn about it, read the book or whatever. They've also been transformed positively. It, it's touched people to. I get messages and emails and anyone that's interested in taking and taking a peek at it, taking a peek at the scientific journal. It's really fun. Totally anonymous. Totally confidential. Once you're in there, we don't know who you are. We don't have your IP address. Nothing. We want people to be honest. Right. And the, it's people, a
0: questionnaire. It's a questionnaire. A survey.
2: Questionnaire. It's a questionnaire. And it's short. It's only less than a half an hour. But um, we're getting such incredible feedback, Richard, that is really confirming, confirming that the Phoenix Lights phenomena and phenomena similar to the Phoenix Lights are really touching one person at a time. And the the um, uh, the outcomes are just riveting when we're looking at the findings. And hopefully in the next year, we'll, we'll be able to publish them. But in the meantime, if you're interested, go to the Phoenix Lights Network website or the Phoenix Lights Network Facebook page and scroll down. You'll see the link there too. But Phoenix Lights Network website is very easy. Just go on the landing page. There's a triangle there. And right underneath, you can either enter the website and under that is the link that goes directly to the study. And we invite everyone out there, especially if, there's, if there are people out there that were here, because many people have moved or passed since 1997. If you're out there and, and we have had, now that we've been talking about it, many people uh, get in touch with us that were here during the mass sighting. Please, please uh, join us in this effort to really scientifically um, uh, compute the data and and so we can get it out there so people know that it's not only the hardware, but there's somebody driving these things. And that's why, you know, it's time to get this out in the open, address it, accept it, and study it so we can move forward. And not only find out uh, who's driving these things, but move forward in our own evolution as well.
0: Can you share some more of the telepathic messages people were receiving as these crafts or whatever they were, these lights went overhead?
2: Absolutely. Um, we have... People actually that were out, um, they were in main, Mensa, very credible realtors who were out in a um, in a field that was being built. They, were, they they had stakes in the ground, and they estimated that this craft that they saw was over two miles wide. Uh, they saw gunmetal on the bottom, they saw windows with beings at the windows. And even though they couldn't really see what they were, they knew they were looking at them as, as much as they were looking at them. <laughs> and they got the message, don't worry, we're not here to harm you. That was the main thing, that don't worry about this is we're not here to to harm you. And you know, if anything, they touched people at such a deep level. I mean, that's that's really a significant, about this that it that it really did change people and wake them up to Any, the fact sp- that we're not alone in the universe
0: Any spontaneous healings reported
2: um, we do have some people that have said that they've, you know, had healings. I mean, this is something that we talk about, you know, ask in the, in the uh, study as well. And, and, you know, I don't want to divulge too much because we're still gathering the data. But, um, yes, there's some um, riveting findings. I have to tell you, well, I'll, I'll share for you, Richard, I'll share a couple of really cool ones. Um, what blew me away personally and, and also the other um, uh, colleagues that are working on this is that, there were many people, and we're talking, you know, close to 60% of people that had the Phoenix Lights experience. Once they had an experience like that, and it's happened with near-death experiencers too, okay, um, will start having other psychic experiences and other seeing other things and, and really being open and aware of what comes before them. And um, what's really interesting is that, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, many people that took this questionnaire have shared with us that they are seeing beings, I mean, real beings, <laughs> different kinds <laughs> of beings, um, as well as being on craft. I mean, that, that blew me away. And they have vivid memories of this. And for the most part, um, just about all the people that are being uh, in, this, in this study, and, yes, there are a few that, you know, just can't deal with it or for whatever reason, religious or upbringing or whatever. Um, other than them, they're welcome, <laughs> just as the Native cultures do. In fact, the Davids 4 our mass sighting the Nav- on the Navajo Range, they had a sighting, uh, and they these oars were going around. They thought it would be big news. These oars were going around in circles, and they're so used to it. This happened in loop, L-E-U-P. Uh, P. they they put their lawn chairs out and just watched it for an hour. I mean, they're very open. And and another interesting story. I don't believe in coincidence anymore. There, are, once somebody reads the book, which is in its fourth print, by the way, I didn't want to write another book. The first book is so important. Every word is there for a reason. I squeeze the best. Of what the most credible data that I found in the 750-page journal down to 230 pages, and have just added chapters as our governor. Now that's another story. Uh, I wanted to get back to three years after the mass sighting, and I do want to get back to the native cultures because that's really. Unless you want me to finish that first?
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, let's. Let's. Um, sure. We were we were talking about healings, uh, and then we were okay,
2: talking. Okay. Well. About- okay. Well, six months before the mass sighting. Uh, I was invited, I, I, which is ironic. I have dedicated my life's work since 1976 to community education of vital health issues. I work for NBC and USA Cable, and at my own company, Health Education Learning Programs, to produce video and workbook curriculums for the classroom um, and on vital health issues. And I was invited to the Gila Bend, G I L A, Gila Bend Indian Reservation, which is in between. South Mountain, which is just south of the airport, and then a few miles back is the Estrella Mountain Range, and it's very sacred ground, and they had one school, and I helped the, the principal. They don't talk to outsiders, but after the mass sighting, I noticed from my voted data that these phenomena kept popping up right in that area where South Mountain and the Estrella intersect, so I called him up, and I said, did anybody happen to see strange lights on March 13th? And he started to giggle, and I said, is that Buddy. He said, oh, are you kidding? We've been looking up at them for centuries. We call them sky people, light beings. I had never heard of that. And he starts telling me, not only do indigenous peoples worldwide very welcome these other intelligences, but that's how the Estrella Mountains got its name, gateway to the stars. It means star in Spanish. And there are petroglyphs, drawings, century, centuries old years old on the mountains there of the same exact thing that my husband and I saw outside our bedroom window of three orbs in a triangle or pyramid formation. And they do believe in that area that there's a gateway or portal in that area. And certainly they feel that these phenomena are healing And they welcome them. So to answer your question on that, and and other people have also uh, mentioned that they feel that they've been healed of certain things from their experience with the Phoenix Lights. The other thing that happened is right after the, well, actually right before the third anniversary of the Phoenix Lights, people don't know this outside of reading my book or going on the website and uh, seeing the uh, news uh, report about this, the then Councilwoman Frances Borwood, Vice Mayor of Phoenix, was running for Secretary of State to get answers for the lights over at Phoenix and asking for a reenactment, which was brilliant. Okay.
0: Hey, sorry, Lynn, can I just jump in? Because I wanted, I wanted you to tell that when we come back. I have to take oh, sure. a quick time out. We'll come back and we'll get to sorry. the reenactment <laughs> with the flares and the warthogs wart and all of that. Uh, it's right up there with swamp gas and um oh, What else can you compare it to? I mean, (laughs) flares, seriously. All right, back with more of my conversation with Dr. Lin Kitai, stay with us.
1: It's time to redefine reality. This is Richard Serrett's Strange Planet.
0: And we are back with Dr. Lynn Kitai, internationally acclaimed physician, health educator, and um, her fourth edition available at Amazon of her best-selling Phoenix Lights, a skeptic discovery that that we are not alone. And uh, there's also, of course, the... the award-winning phoenix lights beyond top secret documentary and even a phoenix lights graphic novel activities coloring book all available at amazon and please it's in the episode notes uh, the phoenix lights network uh, you can click on there and participate in this um, anonymous questionnaire survey about the uh, your experiences all right so the reenactment um in an effort to try and – this is right up there again with uh, swamp gas uh, and, and uh, a weather balloon from Roswell. They tried to blame this whole thing on flares that had been dropped by the Air National Guard, these uh, air warthogs that were, uh, I guess, at the Barry goldwater range, was it? Um,
2: so- well, they kept changing their story, Richard. That was what was interesting too because um, uh, supposedly, okay, just to go back for, for a second here, at 3 a.m., there was a call to the National UFO Reporting Center, Peter Davenport, the director, from an alleged crewman who said that two F-15s were sent out from Luke to intercept one of these massive craft right over central phoenix and as they got close the lights dimmed and then the entire thing blinked out and disappeared and freaked out one of the pilots who he said he helped out of his aircraft and then luke was on lockdown afterwards so they were very well this is about 8 30 they were very well aware of what was going on so whether they sent off flares or not the interesting thing is the story kept changing. <laughs> Once this all came out, I mean, they had, uh, Luke said that they sent out flares and David Mothin said they had to release them from their aircraft because they can't keep them in there. I mean, the story just kept changing and the times kept on changing. But here was Barwood asking for a reenactment. Now, if it was military, okay. I mean, I'm open. I'm a healthy skeptic. I'm open to any explanation. The logical, I want to see it, okay. Mm-hmm. But... Shame on them. I mean, for denying it for months, for going right over people's heads. But OK, show me. Well, three Air National Guards came in town. I believe it was um, California, Michigan and New York, if I'm not mistaken, to show everyone the Phoenix lights. This is three years later, right before the third anniversary. It Talk about a joke. If you go to the to the news page and scroll down a little bit, you'll see. a a box there that has AZ family. You'll see exactly what they did. They tried to make a triangle. It was upside down, fell apart immediately. One of them even fizzled out, had huge smoke trails, just what flares do, and not one person, not one. I mean, if there was one person that said to me they saw that, any kind of flare characteristics, I'd say, okay, they sent off flares. I haven't heard of one that actually saw the flares, (laughs) but nonetheless, that put the nail in the coffin. For the flare theory. To date, the Phoenix Lights have never been reenacted or explained, yet they continue to appear worldwide. If anybody can get to the History Channel, and by the way, our documentary is free now on Tubi, if anybody has Tubi, but there was a wonderful uh, History's Greatest Mysteries uh, last week, one of the best um, uh, exposes on the Phoenix Lights that is streaming on the History Channel. uh, greatest Mysteries with host, Lawrence Fishburne. I recommend highly that that people take a a peek at that. It's really terrific. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the graphic novel, as you mentioned, uh, I'm working on a curriculum, uh, as I was for my health programs for about 10 years. (laughs) It was really hard to get into the classroom, but I compiled the best of what I had gathered in 160 pages of uh, incredible uh, story about the Phoenix Lights. It's called um, Phoenix Lights, UFOs and Crop Circles, uh, Activities, Graphic Novel, coloring book for all ages. I wanted to give something out there for teachers to be able to do in the classroom, which they are, and parents and grandparents to do with their kids and their grandkids. It is packed with 80 crop circles to color with, that uh, we talk about the real ones versus ones that are uh, made by man, um, as well as iconic pictures, and it's just a, a real fun thing, so I, I recommend people looking that up as well. When I have them in conferences, I can't keep them in my hand.
0: <laughs> okay, I want to, uh, because time is tight, I do want to go back to Governor Fife. Simington, of course, who made a mockery of the whole thing. Oh, okay,
2: okay, that's um, the next
0: yes, thing. He totally, means, yeah. yeah.
2: Yes, yes. Thank you for bringing bringing me back uh, uh, talking about that because that's really important. Because right after the tenth anniversary, it's amazing how the story unfolded and continues to unfold. But right after the tenth anniversary, for whatever reason, our former governor Fife Symington, he was no longer governor, who mocked the sighting in ninety seven came forward and disclosed, bravely, I must say, because he was an awarded military pilot, that he actually witnessed one of these crafts. And in his own estimation, not only was it definitely not flares, but it was a craft. And also in his own words, which I found poignant, because by then I had heard from other countries that they um, relate to these phenomena as otherworldly. And that's the word that he used. It was otherworldly. So that was a giant step forward, Richard. I know that you appreciate, you know, when you're when you're talking about politics. And I don't get into politics or religion, but when you're talking about a former governor actually coming forward and disclosing that he saw this phenomena and that it was not from here, <laughs>
0: it was and expressing world. regret, and expressing regret that he made a mockery of it as well. So yeah.
2: Yeah, oh. so the pressure he was under at the time to to do that. but um, it was great that he came forward. And then, of course, when Carl Russell came forward uh, in two thousand and seventeen, that was another great step forward because it just lends the more credible pill, the more credible people that come forward. and that was one of the reasons I did come forward. If I can lend a credible voice so that people actually look at the data, then I've done my job.
0: you know the um the um u s government recently established something called uh arrow the all domain anomalous resolution office and I've I understand that um two of the early witnesses they've called because they want to they want to gather data they've they're talking to Robert Salas and they're talking to Robert Hastings about UFO incursions over nuclear installations wouldn't it be yes. great if you were yeah. to get a call from arrow to sit down and talk to them about the Phoenix lights I mean is there any action behind the scenes, maybe to, to make something like that happen?
2: Um actually I'm I'm open. Uh you know, my time is limited. <laughs> I am open to um helping. I mean that's why I came forward to helping get the the data out there, the critical data. And that's why we're doing the scientific study. And and yes, um you know I applaud applaud Roberts for coming both Roberts for coming forward. Um, there's nuclear bases here and and there is definitely history of these phenomena showing up over these bases and the story for anybody that doesn't know, this was 30 years, almost to the day of our mass sighting in Montana. There were two separate air uh, uh, um, nuclear bases with silos, nuclear silos, very deep in the ground. And there were these orbs and, and UFOs at the gate and suddenly everything went offline and there's no off switch. Okay, so it freaked everybody out down there, um including robert salas, who who tells the story so vividly. Um, they didn't know what to do. And suddenly, three hours later, everything went online and started again. Now, when you think, I mean, what could have happened? <laughs> okay, if there were intelligences beyond that were coming here and turning off our nuclear bases, what is the message there? Uh, what is the message there? But nonetheless, um, nothing malevolent happened, which to me is another point that just contributes to whoever is behind the Phoenix Lights phenomena uh, is benevolent. I mean, it changed people forever, and we're quantifying that now, and and soon we will have that to publish and let people see how these Phoenix Lights touch people. It's such, I get so many emails, and I welcome people by the way, and on the homepage of the Phoenix Lights Network website, you can contact me directly to, and I certainly look, as a scientist, I wanted to be as credible and pragmatic as I could with the data. As a physician, I wanted to let people know that they're not alone that they're not alone. If you just tell one person, it's very healing. Mm-hmm. It's cathartic. And certainly I I know as an experiencer what that feels like. And then certainly as an educator, it was important to get this data out there. But um, certainly if you just want to tell me your story, I take confidentiality as a, as a physician very seriously. Um, it is, it's, is- cathartic to just write it down and start, you know, ruminating about it. And uh, even people, and this has been studied as well with the free study and also with some of the um, therapists that that I know worldwide, that even if somebody has um, an experience that isn't quite positive to them, With therapy and with talking about it and sharing it with others and hearing other people's stories Um, and Opus, if you ever heard of Opus, is a place where people can go uh, to do that. Um, It really transforms the experiencer to a positive place. And, uh, again, I've had people tell me just reading my book for <laughs> people, which is just, I mean, whoa. I mean, wh- what could you wish for um, in a project uh, other than to help people learn and grow and move forward?
0: All right. So, again, the, uh, the study, the scientific study on the Phoenix Lights, happening uh it's anonymous it's a questionnaire you go to the phoenixlights.net again the link is in the episode notes www.thephoenixlights.net and it's a very easy website to navigate uh you just click on the tri- triangle enter and then you'll see a link i think it says survey monkey or something like that and that takes you right to the questionnaire and it'll take you about a half an hour and uh this is all very valuable data and you would be uh, making a major contribution uh to the site thank study. you dr Lynn, great to see you again
2: You too, Richard. Thank you so much for letting me share. And once we do get the data compiled and we have some peer review and uh, I I would uh, be wonderful if we can come back and share that with your audience as well, because we are finding some interesting, interesting uh, feedback from this. So I look forward to that. Thank you so much.
0: Maybe we'll do it on coast as well. Coast to coast.
2: Sounds good.
0: Thank you, Dr. Lynn. A new Richard
1: Sarrett's Strange Planet drops every Monday, Wednesday and Friday.